We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Good morning, White Sox fans. This is your Sox Machine White Sox Wake Up Call for Friday, August 13th, 2021. I'm Josh Nelson. This wake up call will not be your typical episode. With the Chicago White Sox having Friday off, I figured it would be good to revisit with one of our friends, Lawrence Holmes from 670 The Score. He and I will chat about the Chicago White Sox stepping into the national spotlight, especially this week with being on Sunday Night Baseball and the Field of Dreams game, and talk about how they're being covered by the national broadcast, but also locally in Chicago. First, though, let's recap last night's Field of Dreams game, a marquee event that Major League Baseball really played up the pregame festivities with actor Kevin Costner walking out first, and then followed by both rosters out of the cornfield. Costner had a pregame speech to pump up the crowd, bombers flew over the field, and the introduction sounded mostly in favor of the Chicago White Sox. Game action, Lance Lynn made quick work of the Yankees in the first inning, striking out two, and for the White Sox bottom half, Jose Abreu made history on an 0-2 breaking pitch from Yankees starting pitcher Andrew Heaney. Abreu hit his fourth career home run, off Heaney and his 23rd home run of the season to give the White Sox a 1-0 lead. It was still that score heading into the third inning. Lance Lynn faced problems in that inning with two outs. And this is a bit of foreshadowing for those that didn't watch the game because getting that final third out was a problem for White Sox pitching in the evening. After walking DJ LeMahieu and allowing a single to Brett Gardner, it was Aaron Judge Punishing Lynn, a massive opposite field three-run homer from Judge, gave the Yankees a 3-1 lead. In that same inning, Adam Engel got the White Sox rally started with a walk. With one out, Tim Anderson doubled down the left field line against a shifted outfield. Gallo had to make a long run to field the ball out of the corner, which allowed Engel to score all the way from first base. Anderson's RBI double made it a 3-2 game, but that ended up being a costly run because Adam Engel would be removed from the game later due to a strain groin. Heaney stayed away from Abreu, walking him to put runners on first and second for Aloy Jimenez. And on the first pitch, 
Jimenez followed Aaron Judge's lead, hitting an opposite field home run. His sixth of the season in just 13 games played was a three-run shot, and the Chicago White Sox retook the lead 5-3. In the fourth inning, Luis Robert almost hit a home run for himself, but his deep fly hit the base of the wall for a double. With two outs, Sebi Zavala stepped up to the plate, and on the first pitch he saw, Zavala smacked a two-run homer, his fourth of the season, and the White Sox went up by four, leading 7-3. Lynn entered the sixth inning at 93 pitches and allowed his second home run of the game with a leadoff shot from Brett Gardner. Aaron Judge was next, and he had a soft liner that made Tim Anderson fielded from the grass, and Anderson's throw took Jose Abreu off the bag. As Abreu tried to place a tag on Judge, he missed, and Judge reached safely. So there's no outs, and a runner on first, Joey Gallo is next to face Lynn. After missing on 2-2, Lynn ended up walking Gallo on a 3-2 pitch, and the tying run was coming up to the plate in the form of John Carl Stanton. Acting manager Miguel Cairo saw enough as Lynn left the game throwing 105 pitches. Michael Kopech replaced Lynn, and John Carl Stanton hit a slow chopper, which Anderson could only make a play at first base for the first out. Both runners moved up to second and third base. Kopech took matters into his own hands, ending the threat with back-to-back -back strikeouts and yelling off the mound, holding on to the White Sox three-run lead. That ended Lance Lynn's line, which his final line was five innings pitched, four hits allowed, four earned runs allowed, two walks, seven strikeouts with two home runs allowed. His season ERA is now 2.26. For the White Sox bullpen, Aaron Bummer got out of a bases loaded jam, and Craig Kimbrell kept the Yankees scoreless, heading into the ninth inning with the White Sox still leading 7-4, giving closer Liam Hendricks a three-run cushion to close it out. After Tyler Wade reached on a bunt single, Hendricks struck out DJ LeMahieu and Brett Gardner. With just one out remaining, it looked like the White Sox bullpen would flex their strength. Except that didn't happen. Just like Lance Lynn struggling in the third inning, Hendricks struggled with two outs. The Yankee sluggers flexed their power as Aaron Judge hit his second home run of the game, a two-run shot, to make it 7-6, Hendricks walked Joey Gallo, and after a mound visit from pitching coach Ethan Katz, Jean-Carl Stanton, on the very first pitch, launched a two-run homer that Lurie Garcia lost uh, the fly ball and he ran into the wall. Suddenly, the Yankees led 8-7, delivering a gut punch to the White Sox, who were in control for most of the game. Danny Mendick pinched hit for Lurie Garcia, and he grounded out to first base to start the ninth inning. Next was Sebi Zavala, already having a home run, and he hit a slow roller down the third base line. Tyler Wade fielded the grounder, but the ball just went into foul territory. It would have been an easy ground out, but the Yankees' closer for the time being, Zach Britton, ended up walking Zavala even though he was ahead in the count 0-2. That walk was huge because it set the stage for Tim Anderson. Runner on first, one out, Anderson acting as the game-winning run. Joe Buck from Fox Sports, take it away. Anderson hits it in the end right. Back at the wall and the White Sox win. 
On the very first pitcher in Britain, Anderson delivered the walk-off two-run homer, a dramatic ending to the first ever game for Major League Baseball in Iowa at the Field of Dreams Stadium, an outcome that Major League Baseball could dream of became reality, a smashing success delivering great entertainment, especially if this becomes an annual event. Just need to make it a bit more affordable and available for Iowans to actually watch the game. With the win, the Chicago White Sox are now 68 and 48, and they are now 11 and a half games in first place ahead of Detroit. Yes, it has happened. The Detroit Tigers have finally caught the Cleveland Guardians in the American League Central standings. Detroit is now 57 and 60. That is a 487 win percentage. And Cleveland is 55 and 58. That is also a 487 winning percentage as Detroit has won three straight games and Cleveland has lost three straight. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. There are a lot more eyeballs in the Chicago White Sox in the national landscape, but it wasn't long ago that they were purposely forgotten by ESPN and other national outlets. Is this team ready for the spotlight and our White Sox fans? Well, joining me to discuss is a good friend of Sox Machine. You can listen to him on 670 The Score, middays from 12 p.m. to 2 p.m. Central Time, and his excellent podcast from the House of L. 
from the Lawrence Holmes Show. It's Lawrence Holmes. Hey, Lawrence, thanks for coming back on the Sox Machine podcast. I love Sox Machine, man. I listen to you guys all the time. So I'm, I'm always happy when you guys say you want me on. Well, last time we spoke on this show, we were looking ahead to the offseason in October. And I'm going to start this show by saying we crushed the Michael Brantley prediction yep. because he is raking. <laughs> yeah, the, luckily, I... I mean, I am concerned about them facing him. Yes. Now, but I think that what they've done, and especially during the trade deadline, I, I've been more than happy with Cesar Hernandez. And, and I feel like he's been something that this lineup is needed. And the stability that he provides at second base has been phenomenal. But yes, we were, we were on point with the, the Michael Brantley thing. I, I sometimes still imagine it. Be like, can you imagine yeah. Anderson, Brantley, Abreu, and now Jimenez is back, and then yeah. Grandal. It just becomes the lineup just becomes ridiculous. I mean, it's it's long and ridiculous now. It, yeah. I mean, now, now that you've got Robert back and, and Aloy back, but still having a, a bat to ball on base percentage guy that's got pop, veteran leadership would have been really, really nice. And I'm I'm so hopeful that them not signing him doesn't turn into a thing <laughs> in October. And we're like, oh, man, Michael Brantley killed us in that American League Championship Series. Why wasn't he on our team? Yep. Uh, you and I will be thinking about that. But anyway, so after the pat on the back, covering the White Sox uh, in Chicago, I appreciate the efforts that you and executive producer Herb Lawrence, by the way, He's got an excellent podcast as well, Locked on White Sox podcast with Chris Tannehill. Definitely recommend it. Uh, that you guys put in the work and talk about the White Sox, even though 670 is the home of the Chicago Cubs. Football season is rapidly approaching. I know the game. Justin Fields will be the most talked about Chicago athlete from now until at least January. But I feel like the White Sox are a number two topic in the upcoming months, Lawrence. And it's been a long time since that's happened locally. You know what's funny about it, Josh, is we were looking, we've been looking at the, the ratings over the last six months at, at what's been, and the show has been doing really well. Like we continue to be in the top five in the most important demo to the score, which is men 25 to 54. That's who we cater to. And we're, you know, th there's always something that kind of stands in the way of, of, of keeping the, the score from getting to like number two or number one. Some of it is that one of the Spanish language stations is just killing it ratings wise. We're never going to get that audience, but the drive is doing really well. And 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 we're doing great. Like the station, Layla and Dan are kicking butt like all mm -hmm. over the place. And I was talking to our program director about this. Me and Herbie and Mitch were talking about this. We think because we won't have to worry about the Cubs because the Cubs season will be over. We think in October that we've got a chance of being number one. Hmm. And the reason is, is what you talked about. There, there's going to be a, a ton of interest in Justin Fields. And if you're playing the over-under game, October is about the time that you would expect that he might take over the team, or at least the, the calls for him to take over the team will get louder and louder. You add that to 
what is for sure going to be a White Sox team that makes the playoffs and perhaps goes really deep into the playoffs. I think if those two things happen, that there's a really good chance for, for us to do that as a station, which would be unbelievable, even though their games themselves are going to be on 1000. We, we seem to still be the place that people want to come and talk about the White Sox. But I think it's, it's a delicate balance. And I, I'll tell you, just from a programming standpoint, you, you're someone who has a podcast, you program your pod. I am now like shifting to more White Sox stuff, more Bear stuff. Like it's almost a 50-50 split now. I, and, I, and I'll just give you just a little bit behind the curtain. Ordinarily, like today, as we're recording this, the Cubs had a day game, right? Mm-hmm. Ordinarily, what I like to do is walk the people up to the Cubs pregame. Like that's that's strategic. We like the people that are going to tune in are probably Cubs fans, so you get them ready for the game. Right. Over the last three weeks, there's not a lot to say now. To this day, there was because you had Jake Arrieta being outright did and all that stuff. But I'm finding that White Sox fans kind of don't care. Like they, they, they'll take it. They'll take 30 minutes of conversation inside there, knowing that I'm going to the Cubs game at 12:45, and and we try to make sure that we're programming uh, proportionally. And now, as White Sox fans often complain of, oh, well, you know, you, you need to do more. Yeah, now that they are the story, they are the story. To me, they're story number one. The Bears haven't played yet. They're story number two. I do think there'll be some shifting in that. Oh, yeah. As, as, as we get to the end of September and games don't really matter that much to the White Sox, it'll probably ramp up into more Bears stuff. But I really love this place that we're in when those are the two things that can be discussed. So that's local. Are you, it's been a lot of White Sox this week, especially for the national broadcast. Are you surprised on how much of the national spotlight the White Sox are getting? Well, the schedule helps out in that regard with the, the game in the corn. What I wish though, is when it comes to national coverage of the White Sox, it's still very surface. Mm -hmm. It, it, It almost feels cartoonish at times that, that the White Sox are some sort of gimmick and not a team that has been really good for now two seasons. Like it, This is the opportunity for the White Sox as an organization to go to back-to-back playoffs. That hasn't happened before, so that's super exciting. I think that because there are some characters and personalities on this team, that the coverage of the team still defaults to that or it defaults to, well, look at what Tony LaRusa has done with this, this, <laughs> this bunch of vagabonds that, that the White Sox have pulled together. I wish that they could dig a little bit deeper into the incredible stories that are going on in this team. I look at the season that Tim Anderson has had, and I look at not the numbers necessarily. I look at the, the level of leadership that, and it's hard, that's a hard thing to quantify. But the level of leadership that he has exhibited throughout this season has been amazing. And part of the reason that I think that we aren't seeing kind of fun Tim is because Tim's been holding the clubhouse together this entire time. 
that he's just been like, okay, we have a new manager. He's a little bit different than us. This is our culture that we have that has to be preserved. We got this thing going on with your mean. I got to make sure that I hold him up. Giolito wasn't quite himself. I got to hold that guy down. All of this stuff that he's been doing, along with being one of the best hitters in baseball. I, I, I am fascinated by his maturation from this guy that was a, a toolbox. Mm-hmm. And now you see that he is putting all of the tools to use along with being an exceptional teammate and leader. And I don't know if that is something that is discussed on the national level. And maybe it's not as sexy. And But because they're so outward, because you see Aloy and he's got this million-dollar smile, it's easy to gravitate towards all of that and maybe forget about how this team continues to win and continues to be able to handle when we look back on this, Josh, it's it's, and I know that it's league wide. I don't want to make it seem like it's just the White Sox. Mm-hmm. But when we look back on this season, it's pretty amazing with the man hours down that the White Sox have had that they are in this space of 20 games above 500. Right. They were able to, I think, until up until where we are now, sustain themselves with this next man up approach. Every night, it was somebody else that, that was chipping in at the right moment. And I, I think it's a pretty special thing that they've accomplished this season so far. And when you mentioned Tim Anderson and the leadership in the clubhouse, you know, national media forever, and it's the reason he's in the Hall of Fame, Derek Jeter. And they raved about his leadership yep. when he was with the New York Yankees. I, that's where I'm a bit surprised that we're not hearing more about that because we do hear about Tony, Tony, Tony. And for the Field of Dreams game, we're going to hear about Tony, 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 even though Larusa was not able to attend the game because he's attending his wife's brother's funeral. Uh, he's unavailable. But even when during the ESPN broadcast between the Cubs and White Sox, they got to the topic of Tony Larusa. Again, we're rehashing what happened in May between Larusa and Yerba Mercedes, and it's Matt Verscursion and Alex Rodriguez who might spend five minutes uh, as far as researching about the Chicago White Sox before he puts a headset on and broadcasts a White Sox game. Here's Roger Bozard. <laughs> oh, and let me talk about my friend Jerry Reinsdorf. Ah, oh, yes, A Rod. Let's let's uh, talk about Jerry Reinsdorf. My friend almost got me the Mets, and then someone much richer came in and bought. Exactly. Exactly. But that's kind of where, you know, when it comes to Tim Anderson, everybody, you know, says, well, he's just this bat flipping fun shortstop. But you're right. There's more to him. And I guess I'm just a bit surprised that even like somebody like MLB Network hasn't dove in. Because remember 2017, Tim Anderson, he he almost that was almost a point of no return for him because of losing his friend and the fact that you and I and many White Sox fans have seen Tim Anderson grown. Hey, welcome to the 2016 White Sox. What a team to join midseason and go through that rough patch and be where the White Sox are today. I, I, I'm surprised that, especially for the national broadcast, they're not talking more about Tim Anderson, the leader, instead of just Tim Anderson, the bat flipping shortstop. Josh, let's let's think about 
you know, I brought up your mean, I brought up Giolito. Let's talk about what he's done for Billy Hamilton. Yeah. Uh, and Brian guy, Goodwin. And Brian Goodwin. Uh, guys that are older than him. Guys that are older than him. He's been able for them to walk in. He puts his arm around him. He tells Billy Hamilton, you know, you don't have to be the thing that you've always been. Mm -hmm. you could maybe be more, a little bit more. And that's incredible leadership. And you're right. Jeter got credit for a lot of things. And I'm not trying to take away from him. He clearly was a great leader. There's, there's no doubt in my mind that that is the case. But I think that his silence is considered stoicism. Yeah. Right? Like, like when you know, Derek Jeter never talks because he's just so focused on the game and all this stuff. Where Tim, I honestly, in, in my interactions with Tim, and I've done a couple of events with Tim, Tim is genuinely shy. Mm -hmm. And these moments on the field are the way that he expresses himself. Like, this is when the, the introverted guy becomes extroverted. And he does it in a way that, that captures all of our imagination. I'm hopeful that people will catch up to that. I think he's terrific. Like, I think that he's – I don't know in my entire time being a White Sox fan if there's ever been a player that has meant more to me from a connection to the South side than Tim Anderson does. I think that that guy exhibits what it is to be a South sider, what it is to be a white Sox. He genuinely cares about the children of the South side. He genuinely cares about representing in the most passionate way possible on, on our city and specifically the, the south side of the city. I've never felt that level of connection with a player in a White Sox uniform before. Not even Frank Thomas? Then. Not No, because remember, Frank, Frank, for the most part, was just this incredible player mm -hmm. that didn't have necessarily, like, opinions about the, the south side. Like, it wasn't that he didn't want to be there or anything like that. I'm not trying to say that, that Frank was malicious. Frank was just a ball player. Like, Frank, Frank was like, I'm going to come in. I'm going to do my work. I want you guys to work as hard as I do, that sort of thing. Tim embodies everything, everything that is good about the south side of Chicago and everything that can be good about the south side of Chicago. So when we look at these national broadcasts and you had this conversation with Herbie on your guys' show a couple of weeks ago, because the White Sox were on the YouTube game. And I thought, you know, Scott Braun and uh, the YouTube team, the MLB network team, they, they did a good job broadcasting. The There's nothing wrong with that broadcast. White Sox fans hated it. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if they, it's because of the high standard or it's, it's this 300 pound chip we still have on our shoulder that if you're not talking about the White Sox enough or in a positive light, uh, the White Sox fans get jaded. I get jaded uh, quite easily. After you guys had this discussion on your show, were you able to find the root cause? Like, why do White Sox fans have this big chip on their shoulder? And it clearly shows when they're in the national spotlight. All right. I think there's a couple of things at work. I think that that first off, locally, 
there's just not as many of us as mm-hmm. there are Cub fans. It's we just, are outnumbered. We're out. We're, we're and surrounded. Um, <laughs> And, and you know what? That's okay. Like, I've come to a place of peace when it comes to that. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't need you to like my team. I like my team. And, and I like what they're about. So that, I think, has something to do with it. And, and, and with the Cubs descending from where they were over the last five years, I do think that there are going to be some more eyes that are put on the White Sox. And maybe you grow a little bit more of a fan base because of this group and what they've done over the last three seasons. Like maybe you, you know, people started paying attention to Tim Anderson and, and they started paying attention. Oh, Lloyd looks like he's really good. And, oh, Lucas Giolito has bounced back and all of this stuff. There are players to kind of hold on to. And this is where I'll give Rick credit because of the way that he has worked the contracts from the moment guys get to the major league level or sometimes before they get to the major league level it allows White Sox fans to dote on those guys and not worry about some of the things that quite honestly helped dissolve the Camelot that was going on with the Cubs. Mm-hmm. That was, that was lingering over Cubs fans from the end of last season. That's what happens with Brian and Baez and Rizzo and Kimbrell, like all of these. And it just, you, they were able to, the team itself was able to delay it. But then once it happened, it was like an avalanche that, that fell on top of, of Cubs fans' heads, and they're still digging out of it, like, as we speak. So I, I think that there's, for White Sox fans, there's the, okay, well, now is our time to shine. Right. Now is, and, and it works out It works out from where the team is in, in their, their evolution right now. From a national standpoint, the chip comes, it, it's very simple to me. When people talk about baseball in Chicago, they don't talk about the White Sox. When I travel around the country and I say I'm from Chicago, oh, big Cubs fan? No, <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm, yeah. I root for the White Sox. When I do national shows of people who don't know me, right? I have friends that do national shows. They invite me on. They know. But for people who don't know me, whenever they introduce me as being from Chicago, how about your Cubs? I, not my Cubs, you know? So you add that to what is seeming <laughs> disrespect, intentional disrespect from ESPN, where it's, I feel bad because it's not Max Britos' fault that, that they, they got up there and they didn't have the White Sox as part of the championship run that, that Chicago had. But it's annoying because we already walk into any baseball conversation situation with that chip on our shoulder. Right. And then we're just like, see, see, this is it. (laughs) This is why right here, because no one seems to care about our little scrappy team on the South side of Chicago. So I I, I think that that's what it is. It it feels unfair. But the, the thing that we stumbled upon that I think is fantastic because White Sox fans admitted it to me via texts and phone calls and, and tweets was we, we want everyone to acknowledge mm-hmm. the White Sox. Like, that's what we want. We want the acknowledgement, acknowledgement. We, but we kind of don't want y'all to come to the ballpark. 
we kind of like our 19,000, 21,000, where it, it's loud, but it, you can get a dog or street taco without missing two innings of the game. Right. That's what I think is amazing about us. Like We want everyone to be like, isn't this amazing? from a distance <laughs> like keep your distance and stay stay your ass away from 35th and shields because we're trying to get into that game enjoy the game enjoy the food the ambiance our wonderful ballpark that no one gives credit to it is a fantastic place to go watch it is. don't come there though because <laughs> i need to get my churros and get back to my seat oh i i hear you it's always funny with like the attendance shaming it's like, well, the White Sox only averaged 20,000 Monday through Thursday. That sounds awesome. <laughs> Cause it, it, it took me a long time to get to this point because when I was coming up as a producer at the score, yeah, it was something that was often discussed as a topic. And I would say probably six, seven years ago, I decided I'm done with that topic. Yeah. You don't want to come to the games. I don't care. Like I, I, I don't want to have to sell tickets for the White Sox. Like either you're you're down or you're not down. And, and that's the way. And I know that sucks for the White Sox. Like they want to sell more tickets. And I completely understand that. But I, I don't want to fight that. It's a war that you can't win. And I think that the arguments that usually ensue from it are pretty stupid. We have two major league baseball teams in town that gives us twice the opportunity to watch the best baseball players in the world. If you don't want to take advantage of it, so be it. Again, it makes it easier for me to get my churro and get back <laughs> to my seat. Yep. I, I hear you, especially when that stadium gets to about 35,000. It it gets packed real yes, quick. Real quick. Are, uh, are Cubs fans ready for the White Sox to be in the spotlight after that butt whooping at Wrigley? Uh, I, I feel like there are two camps. There's the one set of Cubs fans that were like, yep, we were expecting that. And then there's the other set of Cubs fans who are very loud on Twitter saying, well, the White Sox are still our little brother and all you guys did was beat a triple a team and you guys are going to go far and yada, yada, yada. Uh, are, are Cubs fans ready to take a back seat to the White Sox? I think so. I think that the majority of them saw this coming. And like we were saying earlier, it was a countdown to it. It hurts. It, it, it hurts to see Chris, like the funniest thing to me was Chris Bryant goes to San Francisco. They sit down with him and interview in the dugout. And he's like, Oh yeah, I, I grew up loving the giants. And you know, they sent my kid a bunch of stuff. And then he looks at the Jersey and says, dad. And, and so it feels like that dude is out the door and never coming back. Yep. And, and I, and I feel like there's never been a cub outside of Sammy Sosa post career that mm -hmm. has been treated with the same level of disrespect that Chris Bryant has gotten from that fan base. But the, the realization of Holy bleep it's over. Like yeah. all of this is over is a hard pill to swallow. So I think that while there is some, I would say for the most part, good natured chirping going back and forth, I think that Cubs fans are in this place of how did we get here? And why is it that if we have all the things, if we've got the market, we've got the network, we've got all of these changes that have happened around our ballpark, the owner owns all the buildings. 
Why do we have to sit in this place where our best players don't get re-signed? And I think their, their anger is righteous. It is completely understandable yep. for them to go, there's no way the Cubs should be sending out a lineup like they've been sending out for the last six weeks. Like it's, it's pretty crazy. Like I, as, as we're recording this, they had that combined no hitter on June 24th. Okay. Yep. Since then they've won 10 games, 10 and 31. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's 25% of the season. Yep. 10 and 31 since that combined no hitter. It's, it's unbelievable how bad things have gotten. So I think that there is, I don't want to say that they're not, I feel like they're kind of minding their own business. Like that, that's how I feel. I think Cubs fans are so mad that they're like, this is some BS. (laughs) This happened to us. They'll, they'll concentrate on us in October. Like their baseball team is going to go away. We're a little bit away from the winter meetings. They'll be like, Oh, I see my white Sox friends are, are enjoying themselves and they'll start critiquing then. But I, I feel like there's a reckoning and a house cleaning and some introspection that's going on for most of my cub fan friends. So we got some fan questions, and uh, one of the fan questions that we got from Azid Rec, what are things that national broadcasters say about the White Sox that make you scratch your head as a local observer? Oh, I got really frustrated in the last Sunday night game. I mean, it's, it's a stupid thing, and I get what Alex was saying. But he started talking about Jose Abreu, which is, of course, a great story, and hearing mm-hmm. – Jose Abreu in the context of first baseman in the history of the White Sox franchise. He mentioned Jim Tomey. And I'm just sitting there going, Jim Tomey? Great White Sox first baseman? Now, if you want to say great White Sox citizen, terrific. I'm pretty sure Jerry Reinsdorf said he's one of the three greatest people he's ever met. Fine. If you want to say great slugger, even for the limited time that he was a White Sox, fine. Don't tell me, don't, don't bring up Frank Thomas and Paul Konerko and then talk to me about Jim Tomey at first base when he only played four games. I think Ross Glode played more games at first base than Jim Tomey. I guarantee you Ross Glode (laughs) played more games and is probably a more memorable first baseman than Jim Tomey. (laughs) (laughs) that's crazy so yeah it's that that sort of thing it's the other part is they often will talk about it's been less over the last couple of seasons obviously last year there there was no attendance but there's always this kind of oh why won't people come out and see this team right i'm like i don't want to hear that either uh from you from from you any of you that are out there calling those national games it's that sort of stuff that there isn't an exploration. This is my own thing, Josh. I I don't know if this is something that's universal. If you do a game at Wrigley, a national game, there is an exploration of Wrigleyville. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, hey, we were hanging out at blah, blah, blah. And the, the, the shots coming back from commercial, oh, walking down Clark and, all of this stuff. There's never that 
on the south side. And I wish that they would do that. Because even I know people think that it's a ballpark that's like landlocked and you don't have to go very far from the ballpark to find flavor. Right. It's 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 available. I would I would encourage anyone to just take a walk up 31st Street sometime. Yeah. You know, and, and that's within the, the ballpark's purview. And I wish that there was more of that. I wish there was a more of an appreciation of the neighborhood because anywhere else, anywhere else that they would take the broadcast. I I, I don't I want to seem like I'm picking on the Cubs because obviously like Wrigley is special. I get that. I, I'm not trying to begrudge that, but anywhere else that you would go, there's an exploration. I I would argue that the, the neighborhood that surrounds Yankee stadium is rougher than the one that surrounds our ballpark. Right. And the stadium, there's there's almost nothing over there where the Mets are playing. If if you see them do Sunday night baseball in Anaheim, we get these incredible like shots of you know what I mean? Like it and I palm trees. Right. <laughs> and and again, I know that this is our chip on the shoulder type stuff yep. that I'm talking about. But the this is the prism with which I watch games where there isn't a celebration of Chicago and Chicago South side. They might give us a little bit of downtown and I'm okay with that, but there's so much great. We're both South siders, right? Like, we both love our neighborhoods. And, and if anyone asked us, we could be like, Hey, you should go here or you should go here. You should check out this. It'll give you a slice of what it's like to be on the South side. And we just don't get that from national broadcast. So I would say that, that, that's my long list of complaints on the national broadcast. It, it would go a long way to, to eliminate some of the misconceptions, right? Because when you have visiting fans that come in, yes. when I, when I used to live in the North side, so before moving to Bridgeport in March, I lived in Lincoln square Great and, thing. and I would take the Brown line to Belmont and take the red line down. And you would see some visiting fans. And as soon as you get South the Roosevelt, Roosevelt, uh, they're white knuckling, gripping the rail. And it's like, I know what's going through your head. You think you are entering a dangerous part of Chicago. Let me tell you, that's not the case. You are going to be fine. And I think taking a neighborhood tour, if Fox went to Cork and Cary or Turtles, or as you mentioned, I love the idea. There's so many great food spots. I'm gaining so much weight living in Bridgeport with all the restaurants <laughs> on 31st. But even like even going further south to Hyde Park, there's so many great things that are happening in Hyde Park. Or a that, little bit north to Chinatown. Yes. Nobody, nobody looks at Chinatown, right? Nobody, nobody even, yeah, you're right. Nobody does that tour of, of going to Chinatown. There, there's so much to see that it would give those outside of Chicago. Oh, well, the next time I go to the White Sox game, there's, there are fun stuff. Yep. I'm going to go, I'm going to go check it out next time in the ballpark. I'm going to go to Rico Benny's because everybody brags about that breaded steak sandwich. Yeah. We, we don't get that on the national broadcast flavor. I, I'm, I'm very happy that you called that out because that would go a long way because everybody thinks, so oh, I'm going to get stabbed or shot if I go to a night White Sox game. And, and it's crazy. That's never been that way. It really never has. Uh, by the way, Rick Benny's has the best fries. Oh, I love their fries. I get so damn full eating their sandwiches that I never get to the fries. Their fries are so good. Like I'm, 
I'm someone that enjoys like getting fries with like another meal. So Carbone is like right across the street. Yeah. I, I go get like a, a, a steak quesadilla from Carbone and then go get mm. fries from Rick and Benny's. Oh, that is that, living, sir. That's a uh, I'm fat hack. That's yeah. a good one. Yes, I got to send that to the boys. They would appreciate that. Uh, we got this question as well. This is about Tony La Russa. So there was two questions we got about Tony La Russa, okay. and I, I'm going to combine them. First question is, how would this season be covered if it was still Rick Renteria's manager and not Tony La Russa? And the second part is – Jim Margulis wrote about this on Sox Machine on how the coverage of Tony La Russa reduces always to he's a genius as opposed to he made mistakes in April and May and he learned from them while getting adjusted to the team. Why do you think national writers focus on broad strokes rather than the nuanced and accurate coverage of how the season's actually gone with Tony La Russa at the helm? Because it's easier to do it this way. It's easier to spin the narrative of they went and got this guy out of retirement. And look at them. They've been great. I think that if Ricky were still managing the team, they'd probably be in about the same place. There are a couple things where I think LaRusa, the way that LaRusa has handled things has been important, and I'll get to them in a minute. But but it's the easy road of Dusty Baker and Tony LaRusa are old, but they know a lot. That's why their teams are successful. I, I think there's some of that. The point that you and Jim raise is the right one. He struggled to understand where the game had moved to. He struggled to understand who his players were. I had Steve Stone on. This is probably beginning of May. And I just asked him point blank what he thought of how LaRusso was managing. And he said on the baseball scale, 20 to 80, he thought that LaRusso was a 40 manager. Mm-hmm. He also said that he thought that LaRusso would get better. And so you know, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. The more the time that he spends with guys, he'll get a better understanding and maybe his staff will be better. I thought that some of the failures of LaRusa at the beginning of the season were not just his alone. I thought they were organizational failures. I thought that there were things that the White Sox as an organization just didn't have him prepared for. And all of that stuff has gotten better. I think that he's been on an upward trajectory as their manager since the middle of May. And he's done a wonderful job. The, the tap dance that's going on with crochet and Kopech, where these are two guys that you probably suspect are going to want to be starters and want to be starters soon. They've been able to do that. Navigating Kopech and making him such a weapon in the bullpen, handling his innings, handling, saying, listen, man, you got that lights out stuff. Go out there for 35 pitches and blow people away, whether it's over one inning or over two innings. Go blow them away. I think it's been really, really good. I think that his his hmm, gut instincts and way of nurturing players or manipulating players, depending on how you want to look at it, to get the most out of them has been key. Hey, you just got here, Ryan Goodwin. You're batting second today because I believe in you. That's key. The way that they've handled Andrew Vaughn, I I thought it was a mistake. You know, I, I thought it was a mistake to ask this guy to do so much offensively and ask him to change positions. It was desperate. It was super desperate. It worked. 
And I think that part of the reason that it worked is because Larusa kept showing confidence. And there was a while injuries and 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 Rick kind of dummy proofing the 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 lineup and the roster helped. There was a while when it was like, oh, we'll just put Jake Lamb out there. And then they eventually got over that. And it was like, no, 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 no. This guy has got the right approach at the plate. He is going to be a staple for them for a time to come. So I think that, that, that there have been tangible ways that you can go, wow, Tony has really made a difference. You shouldn't ignore the fact that there were games that they could have won earlier this season that they didn't. Right. Partially because t- Tony wasn't ready. And I don't mean that he wasn't ready to manage. He wasn't ready to manage in 2021. And now it seems like he's more prepared to manage this team. But because he's Tony LaRussa, it's easier to just go, he's won three World Series. I don't give a damn about the World Series that he won because it doesn't matter for my coverage of 2021. Right. I want him to win a World Series for the White Sox. And that has nothing to do with what happened in 2011 for the most part. I'm sure that there are parallels and he keeps drawing some of them and some of them are uncomfortable. And you're like, I don't need you to go back and compare, you know, Lance Lynn to Adam Wainwright. Like, I don't need any of that. I just need you to help get them to where they want to go. But the law degree thing. Who cares? I, I and I'm I'm dead serious about this. Like it doesn't. How does that make him a better manager? If it if doesn't. You can, if you can explain <laughs> it to me, if if you give me the context of, if you were to say, well, here's how here's how I would do it if I were one of those guys. You know, Tony Tony Larusa has a law degree, and if you know anything about going through law school, it is a rigorous grind. There's a lot of research that has to be done. There's a lot of contemplation that has to be done. You have to think about all of the different sides of a case, and then you have to present it. If that's the way that people would talk about it, that'd be cool. But that's not the way. The way that it's talked about is very condescending. It's he's smarter than everyone else because he has a law degree. Right. Dude, the guy calling the games has a law degree. (laughs) Yep. And, and that doesn't qualify him to be the manager of the White Sox. It's, it's, that's what the guy running the White Sox has a law degree. <laughs> he doesn't manage the team. So, like, to put that forth is very condescending to be like, well, you know, he's one of the great managers because he has a law degree. I don't know where A.J. Hinch went to school, but A.J. Hinch doing a hell of a job in Detroit. Yep. And I imagine he doesn't have a law degree. I don't think so. Does he have a psycho? He might have a psychology degree. Maybe. See? And he went to Stanford. That was the thing. Oh, AJ Hench went to Stanford. Does Dusty Baker have a law degree? I don't think so. No. I don't think so either. <laughs> so, so now we just have to go through the whole David Ross didn't go to law school. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> Oh, all right. Well, the final question that I got from our fans, if Lawrence had a chance to broadcast a White Sox game on either TV or radio, who would you want to broadcast the game with? I want it to be on radio. Okay. I think that my skills are better suited to call a radio game. Obviously, like Steve Stone's the answer to that question, but I'm going to take him out because he's too easy of a person to broadcast with. 
I'd love to have AJ in the booth. Okay. With me. And the reason is, and this is no diss to anyone who's working nationally, including our good friend Adam Amin, who does a lot of uh, games with AJ. I want AJ calling a White Sox game that is specifically a White Sox game so he can lean in. I think that he's still doing the national broadcaster thing. And I'd love to have like hard hitting, telling you the truth, no filter AJ sitting next to me analyzing a game. I think that would be helpful right now, especially with Grandal out, because I think AJ would give both constructive criticism and honest criticism of what we are watching with Sebi Zavala and Zach Collins. It's interesting to me, Josh. I don't know how you feel about this, that I feel like there's some stuff that has been overdone in the evaluation process of, of three particular White Sox prospects. Nick Madrigal. Yep. I felt that it was overdone. People talking about his baseball IQ with Sebi Savala. I feel like it's overdone with what he does for you defensively. And I think that he has had some really awesome moments behind the plate. And with Andrew Vaughn, I feel like they got everything wrong, but the hit tool, everything they told us was, Oh, you know, not really an athlete. He can hit the ball kind of clunky and, while I wouldn't call him a fluid outfielder, he gets to balls that you don't think that he can get to. Right. And he right. makes plays that you don't think that he can get. I was stunned by how much better defensively he was than what they had led me to expect. Yeah, uh, the, with Vaughn, that came out of Cal uh, as far as him being clunky. And before draft day where he had his draft day and they had him play third and they had him play right field and the scouts didn't like him. So that's where a lot of that came from. Uh, and Nick magical. Yeah. He's on this Oregon state team that won the national championship and he's one of the leaders. And I was even guilty as well watching those games. And, you know, Jim has provided the criticism for me when I'm watching college baseball just he may look fast, but the game is still pretty slow in the college level. So be careful if you're giving someone a 60 grade speed when right. it's probably 50 or 45 grade for Nick Madrigal because he's little and the game is a lot faster in the major league level. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, but AJ's a great pick. I think for me, if I were to call a game, do you get a chance to listen to Chris Singleton do any of the national broadcasts? Oh, I love him. I, yeah. he's really great. I mean, if, if we're going across platform, I tell you who else would be on my list, Doug Glanville. Yeah. Doug does a terrific job. He's amazing. But I'm surprised he's not utilized more. I, you know what? It's weird that you say that. I was thinking the exact same thing. I heard him on a Cubs broadcast a couple nights ago and I'm going, that's a guy that you should use more. You know, I know they were doing the thing where he was like on the field. Right. Some of that where, and I was, I thought that was great, but that's a guy that you put in the booth, man. And mm -hmm. say, let's rock and roll. Cause you're amazing. I, I'm also a big fan of Jim Deshays. I think that he doesn't get enough love for how good of an analyst he is. And he's got a really great sense of humor. That's super low key, but Doug Lanville will also be on my list. So AJ and Doug, and I, you bring up a great call with Chris Singleton. Yeah, I just love the way that he he meshes everything well together. The 
for you know the old school as far as traditional analysis, mixing it in with the stat cast data. Uh, and he calls a great game. I, I really enjoy listening to Chris Singleton. And I know that there's that White Sox past as far as him being an ex-White Sox player. It'd be great that if he was involved more. Uh, but he does a terrific job right now with the Milwaukee Brewers and national broadcasts too. And one day I'm expecting Gordon Beckham to be the color commentator for the Atlanta Braves using that Georgia charm <laughs> that the White Sox helped him get introduced I, to television. I enjoyed Gordon more than I thought. I was going to, and I appreciated him not holding back on Adam Eaton. Yeah. It is clear that he was not a fan and he let us know that he was not a fan. And I appreciated that. So my last question to you as of mid August, as we record this, what is your gut telling you on how far this white Sox team can go in the postseason? Oh, I hate when you do this to me. (laughs) I'm Um, sorry. (laughs) I've got some concerns about them against good teams. Like I, I look at Tampa Bay and I look at Houston and I go, I don't like those matchups for them. Yeah. I'm not as scared as uh, of a team like Oakland and, and Toronto doesn't scare me that much. Cause I don't think they have enough pitching, but Houston and Tampa scare me. It, I don't like them. I just, it makes me uncomfortable. I think that the white Sox have, probably now once if we're talking about Grandal is healthy and hitting. Yep. I think that they probably have the best lineup, but their lineup is still a little bit flawed. There, there are still too many swing and miss guys in there. The approach is not always the way that I want it to be. And I don't know what Luis Robert is yet. Right. And I'm still, I still think like major league wise, we don't know what he is. We have an idea of what he can be, but we don't know like we know with Aloy. Um, I think the year is a success if they make it to the league championship series. I agree. Some people say World Series, and I get that. But if they make it to the league championship series, I think this has all been a success. I am concerned that you kind of pushed all your chips in. You hired the old manager. You're, you you went overboard in a good way at the trade deadline when it came to the bullpen arms. I'm kind of concerned that there's not going to be baseball in 2022 or at least for a big <laughs> portion of 2022. Yeah. And, and so I we, we need them to win the World Series. Like that, you talk about you talk about White Sox fans finally getting their due. How about how about the White Sox being the, the last champions for a while? You know, like the, the, a season that doesn't start until June or July again, and the White Sox are sitting there as the reigning champions. I think that would be pretty special. But yeah, an ALCS appearance, I think, spells success. And anything less than that, I'm gonna have a hard time them selling me that the season was a success. I'm with you. I know you hate it when I ask you these questions, but I find them to be there very therapeutic to address the concerns that we have. Well, I know we could be homers and be like, yeah, they're going to go to the world series. But I, I think when fairly looking at a team and, and being critical, but even handed that, yeah, I think the white Sox need home field advantage yep. because if they are the number three seed and they got to go to Houston Lawrence, 
I don't like it at all. Are we are we talking they're down 0-2 when they come to Chicago? Yeah, I I that makes me so uncomfortable. Like just thinking about it. Makes and I know that so series happened a long time ago, but that was a butt whooping. I mean, they beat up everyone but Carlos Rodon. Yeah, and now you don't know. I, I'm hopeful that I had said that he needed an IL stand. Mm-hmm. So when they did it, I was like, okay, this seems to make sense to me. My hope is that my intuition on this is right. That they said, look, we got a 10-game lead. These guys, as well as Detroit's playing, they're not going to catch us. These guys are not going to catch us. This gives us time to take steps to be prepared for October. And if that means, hey, Carlos, you got two weeks off, man. Yeah. Pick up a ball. Just take care of your shoulder. Be there as a teammate. Blah, blah, blah. I think that they're doing all that stuff. But I, I, every time I watch Dallas Keuchel, I go, there's no way he's making a postseason start for me. Yeah. I would be very uncomfortable with tough that. conversation for him. For sure. I, I, mean, I would, I would have him, you know, Herbie and I were going through some of this and I said, he's on my roster and he's my first lefty out the bullpen. Oh, because I have him as a piggyback start. Okay. Like, in my world, it's Lance Giolito and cease. Okay. And then on the, on in a game four, when I'm starting Lynn again, I got Keiko as the guy to come in to throw to the left-handed portion of a lineup the third time around. Okay. All right. All right. Well, it'll be very interesting. And I can't wait until we get to the postseason. We talk about October baseball again for the White Sox. Hopefully it's a longer postseason run than it was last year. You could follow Lawrence on Twitter. He's at Lawrence W. Holmes and listen to his show, The Lawrence Holmes Show, middays from 12 p.m. Central Time to 2 p.m. Central Time on 670 to score or on the Audacity app. And you can check out his podcast conversations in the House of L, wherever you listen to podcasts. And Lawrence, as always, thanks for hopping on the Sox Machine podcast. I appreciate you and Jim always being so kind with your time. You guys come in and bless my show and talk about the White Sox. I really appreciate White Sox fans. I think that they have played a major role in the success that the show is having. And I love that I get to be a part of this very angry, concerned, <laughs> anxiety-ridden fan base that that is always looking around corners and under beds for monsters and all sorts of other stuff. We still here, man, and I love it. I love it, and thank you guys for always being so kind. That will do it for this White Sox wake-up call. You can subscribe to the Sox Machine podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, and also subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Machine. If you enjoy our work and want to support us, visit patreon.com slash Machine as we have several different tiers of support, starting at just $2 a month for exclusive content, ad-free podcasts and website, and the first opportunity to purchase our new swag items like the new Sox Machine caps. Have a wonderful weekend, everyone. Greg Nix will be filling in for me for Monday Sox Machine podcast alongside Jim Margulis, so that's something to look forward to. For SoxMachine.com, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening.